so yeah so the conversation he just called me up and he was like hey this is what like we'd love to have you come play for us and this is what we can offer you and at that point I was like whoa like people are <laughs> offering me something like what the heck yeah. like this is weird hello and welcome to the pro rugby pod I'm your host, Brian Moylet. I'm a former Irish international age grade player. And each week I chat with a player, a coach, or a person involved at the top end of the game to hear about their story, get their insights, and find out what life is like in professional rugby. On Instagram, I'm the off-field rugby coach. That's at off-field rugby. Please follow me there and let me know any thoughts or feedback you have for the pod. Please subscribe to the pod if you haven't already. Please leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. And also, please share the pod with some friends. Those simple actions have a big impact and are really, really appreciated. On today's podcast, I chat with Mac Carson, who is a Canadian international player and is currently at UBC finishing a degree. So she's playing with the team that I coach now. Although she has signed on to play with Saracens in January and for the past three years, she's been playing in the Allianz Premier 15s League. First with Bristol and then for the past two seasons with Saracens. We chat about how she was signed to play in the Premier 15s league while studying in UBC. She talks about how she has seen the league go from largely amateur to quite semi-professional in her time there. There's advice for any girls who will be thinking of moving over to England to play rugby semi-pro or full-time. And we also chat quite a bit about the international game. So... Something that I found pretty crazy when I moved over to North America and maybe more so Canada was that there's a lot of pay to play. So to play at higher levels, be it provincial or national, people have to pay thousands of dollars. Whereas back home in Ireland, or I'm sure it's the case in all tier one countries, when you play at higher levels, everything is taken care of. Everything's free and you actually get you know more gear and free food and it's just not the case over here so we chatted a bit about how she has had to pay at certain times to represent bc to represent canada and breaks down the amount of money that it costs and the fundraising that she had to do we also talk about the impact that pursuing rugby and dealing with injuries can have on your mental health and areas that the clubs in England need to do better at and the global international women's game was not in a great place pre-covid but after covid it's yeah in a really bad place Mac talks about how Canada haven't played an international match in over two years so world rugby have recently launched a new three-tier annual global women's international 15s competition this is kind of like a world league and it's launching in 2023 it's called wxv and world rugby claimed that it will revolutionize the women's international rugby landscape provide for the first time a meaningful pathway for all unions and a competitive springboard towards hopefully expanding the women's world cup to 16 teams so we chat about that we chat about the challenges that the women's international game has at the moment the World Cup next year, and that new global league. So here's episode number 14 with Mac Carson. I'm here at Mac Carson, who is a Canada international, has been playing with Saracens last couple of seasons, and is back with us in UBC at the moment for a semester. So thanks for jumping on, Mac. 
yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Cheers. So how did you get started playing rugby? Yeah, I, I honestly just joined because I had been playing kind of every sport under the sun growing up and I had an older brother and my dad played a bit when he was younger and I was always a bit too physical for, for most of the, the Canadian sports. So just picked up rugby and thought, yeah, I'll give it a try when I was about eight or nine years old. So with Abbotsford uh, Rugby Football Club and joined their minis team. I was one of two girls and yeah, I just, just loved it. So from then on, my kind of path into rugby was pretty pretty straight and narrow so yeah so did you have to play with the boys then if there's only two girls yeah so I played I played with the boys all the way up until I was about 12 and then the only age grade after that was under 18 so for women so it was kind of playing with the boys growing up and then this huge jump to playing with pretty much full-grown women so it's an interesting time but I think things have changed since I've been around the block but yeah that was kind yeah, of- yeah so when you're 12 or 13 you had to go play U18s yeah, yeah. So I was playing yeah, under 18s for the Fraser Valley. That was my first kind of taste at a higher level rugby. And uh, yeah, it was interesting, to be fair. We used to play three days in a row as well at that point. So we would play the Friday, the Saturday and the Sunday of um, they used to call it PRCs. I'm not sure if they call it the same thing, but yeah. So I played a little bit of that and then went straight into women's. So yeah, it's kind of always playing up in age grade because there was never an appropriate level of rugby for me growing up. So yeah how do you think that impacted you do you think it was a good or bad thing probably a little bit of both I think I mean it's always good to push yourself and it puts you in a position where you kind of have to grow up a little bit quicker and and you have to adapt to kind of faster paced rugby and things like that but I think nowadays having the opportunity to kind of work your way up through age grade rugby is, is so much better for the girls and now they have under 14s under 16s and things like that you just you build more friendships and I think you can actually develop at a at a smoother pace. I think sometimes, especially in Canada, there's such big gaps between uh, the levels of rugby that you end up jumping up quite quickly. And sometimes it can be a bit detrimental to, to player development, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. The mental toughness though, you have to <laughs> play yeah. with people who are yeah, twice your age, but. For sure. And did you, when did you want to pursue rugby? Did you, like, was there a point throughout that, I don't know, when you were a teenager that you said, yeah, I want to go to college and play rugby there yeah I think probably when I hit about 16 I kind of knew that I wanted to pursue rugby I was playing hockey uh kind of alongside it as well so I played hockey all the way up until I graduated high school and I didn't really know what I wanted to do after high school but I just knew that I wanted to play rugby so I knew that was kind of going to be a constant in my life and I just loved it I enjoyed it so much and had such great friends and had met so many cool people along the way that I always knew that rugby would kind of be the one the one thing that I pursued. Um, and then, yeah, university kind of came and I thought, give it a try. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. So how did it come about going to UBC? Did you get on to, what, Dean or Maria? or? Yeah, so it was actually both of them at the time. So this is going back now probably about oh, six or seven years. I think I was at a tournament, a sevens tournament, actually, believe it or not. I used to dabble in sevens as well. <laughs> yeah, I know, eh? <laughs> But yeah, and, and I just, Maria approached me, I think I was in about grade 10 or 11 and just said, oh, have you ever thought about university? And and my honest answer was no, like, no, I hadn't thought about university, like just playing sports, going to school, like having a good time. And uh, she's like, well, you know, there's like a real opportunity to to kind of pursue rugby at a higher level. And then as I kind of uh, got through the end of my high school career, um, that's when Dean kind of really reached out to me and and said, look, we've got a real opportunity here for you. And actually was recruited as a 10, believe it yeah, or not, again, I know I've, <laughs> I've, uh, I've done the old, uh, 
I play every position you can until <laughs> until you get pigeonholed in one. So yeah. yeah. So then I just thought, you know what? My original kind of thought was that I wanted to take a year off school and and go play overseas. So that was kind of my initial thought process. But I just thought you don't get the opportunity twice to go to one of the best universities in Canada and and get to play rugby. So kind of seemed like a natural transition. And and I've always loved working for Dean and with Dean. So it's just been it kind of felt like a real natural progression out of high school. So yeah, right out of high school, I went, went straight to UBC. Nice. And so you played 10 for your first year in UBC and then moved to kind of flanker, hooker. How did that move come about? Yeah, so I actually played 10 and 12 for my first two years at UBC. Okay. Uh, at the time in women's rugby, if you could pass and someone knew a little bit about rugby, you kind of got stuck there yeah. <laughs> for the most part. Um. But I had kind of played a little bit of everywhere, kind of as I would jump up to a higher level, I would then play a different position. So played a little bit of back row, played a little bit of front row. Um, But there was always that struggle with being so young and like the rules with having you in the front row as well. That I kind of was always a natural front row, but I think that kind of restricted me in a lot of ways was that like you couldn't play in the front row if you were two years below wherever you were Mm. playing. And it was actually when I jumped up to play under 18s that my dad had a conversation with me. He's like, hey, maybe you should pursue like playing in the front row. Like it, it would be a good opportunity for you. My brother also played hook um, slash flank. So I thought, oh, yeah, it's a good opportunity to just play rugby. Like doesn't really matter what position you play in, and thought I'd give it a go. So I kind of played both at various different levels. But it wasn't until I got recruited for UBC and then that summer I played uh, U20s for, for BC. And then made the Canada under 20s team. So I'd played under 18 Canada's at hook. And then that was kind of the real like um, solidifying moment where I kind of was like, okay, playing hook is probably probably the main position for me. So kind of that U18, U20 Canada kind of age range. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of how that kind of came about. Okay. So you realize that if you want to kick on and go up the gray, up the levels that hooker is, is where you got to go. Yeah, exactly. I think obviously at a bit of a lower level, it's kind of easy to play a better position when you're a half decent rugby player. But if you want to pursue it long term and playing for Canada was kind of always my goal. It was kind of like, okay, well, you need to make like a bit of a bit of a decision here about whether you want to play rugby for fun, or you want to pursue it and and kind of work on your craft. So yeah, Mm, nice one. And so then what you spent two years, was it two or three years in UBC, and you went over to Saracens then? Yeah, so I did two years at UBC, and then uh, I was just a little bit confused about what I wanted to do for school. It was a bit like coming and hawing about kind of coming back to UBC. I, I love the school and the rugby. It was just I didn't really know where I wanted to go academically. I was a bit like, oh, I haven't found something that I'm super, super interested in. And I'd always kind of followed playing overseas, and that was kind of something that was always on the back burner. And um, my mom was actually born in Plymouth uh, in England, so... I have dual citizenship and I just thought all this league over here um, at the Prem 15s I was like oh it just looks like such a great opportunity and it's definitely going to like turn into this professional kind of element I want to be a part of that Mm. and so I honestly just on a whim just started reaching out to coaches and um, Bristol actually got back to me and they were like yeah sure like whatever I mean yeah you can get on a plane and show up if you want like we're not going to stop you and um, yeah, so just on a whim, I kind of thought, you know what, I'm just going to go play overseas and see what happens. And hopefully I'll get in, like at the at that point, I was like, hopefully I'll just get into their second team and play a bit of rugby and live abroad for a year, sort out my schooling and then and then kind of head back. And 
as soon as I got there, I kind of was like, whoa, this is like, this is way cooler than I kind of even thought. So I played at Bristol for a season, uh, which was great. It was just, it was fantastic. And I had such a great time uh, that I just decided to not go back to school the next year, which my parents and Dean were not happy about. But uh, yeah, I just was in the rugby mode at that point um, and just really wanted to to kind of be be full a full-time rugby player if you will so. hmm. that's awesome so you just started email that was probably around when I met you or is that when you were playing with BC that summer yeah yeah so I think I was playing I think I was playing for the senior women that summer yeah um I was still I would have been still under 20s age because when I moved over there I came back for an under 20s tour that summer that I moved over there so yeah I would have been playing senior women's that year yeah, that's I when I moved over and started coaching. Yeah, I coached that summer yes. at BC. Um, so you just started, you just looked through the list of the Prem 15s clubs and just found the coaches and just started emailing them all. And Bristol came back and said, yeah, come over. And yeah, I went like full, I went like full stalker mode and just like found all their emails and started peppering yeah. them. Because I kind of thought I was like, how are they going to know some random kid from Abbotsford, like playing rugby, like they don't, they don't know anything about about me so I got to put myself out there so I actually made like a really really crappy highlight tape and like edited it myself and like got all this film spent like hours making it like enlisted the help of my friends like got this whole thing sorted and just started sending it out to people and was like hey like would you want me to come play for you which is kind of nowadays I think it's probably kind of funny looking back on it like this kid who just thought I'll I'll send out send out footage of me but sure enough Bristol were like yeah sure um I think I really, my ultimate goal was to play for series. I think obviously they're the best in the league. And I thought I'll just get there and kind of see what happens. Yeah. And obviously sure enough. And then the next season um, I was approached by the head coach at, at series and, and took up a contract with them. So kind of worked out, I guess the way, the way it went. Um, but yeah. Cool. Kind of how that happened. And so did Bristol give you a hand moving over? Like, did they help you with accommodation or sorting out that out? Or cause I'm sure like a 20 year old kid from Canada, you've, you know it's a pretty big jump did they give you a hand with that yeah so they kind of helped me sort out um accommodation and that and it wasn't so much of the financial side of things at that point it was more just like hey we can set you up with so and so this is how much it's going to cost you but at that point I had a passport so I was like sweet I'll just get a part-time job work a little bit play a little bit of rugby kind of kind of do that so um they did definitely help me out uh but it wasn't kind of in the way that the league is in now, which is kind of crazy to think because it's only been been there three seasons now. So um, to see how far it's come from that kind of super, super amateur to now entering that kind of semi-professional mm. era is pretty cool. But uh, yeah, they were definitely keen to help me out and get me situated. So they like sorted me a job and, and a place to live and, and kind of said, here you go on your way. So cool. And then, so what, you played a season, you were playing away, and then towards the end of that season, was it that Sari's coach got on to you? Yeah, so at that point, um, when I played for Bristol, that's when I got my first cap for Canada. So I got called into the November tour uh, that year, which was, I probably looking back on it a little bit premature, I think, for where I was at in terms of my rugby career. But at the same time, it's kind of one of those things where when you get called up, you don't really say no, right? <laughs> you yeah. just kind of go for it. Um, and yeah, I got my first cap against England, which was also a little bit weird because I'd been obviously playing over there and kind of knew them and knew a little bit more about them. And uh, yeah, so then at the end of the end of the season, um, I actually went home for the summer. Was like, okay, going to put rugby on the back burner, have a bit of downtime, see my family. 
flew all the way back to Canada or back to England, sorry. And then that's in that week that I was back is when I got approached um, by the series coach and my Canada coach at the time was like, Hey, I have this connection. I think it would be good if you could chat with the, with the series coach here and just, just see what he has to say. And I was playing predominantly back row at Bristol. So I think that's kind of where they wanted me to transition full time into the front row. Um, even though playing hook is, is kind of like a fourth back row, I think you mm. kind of have to specialize when you get to a certain point. And obviously so much of my rugby career has been floating around and playing multiple positions and enjoying it and having fun with it. Um, it was kind of the time to like, okay, you're kind of entering that professional era and you kind of have to play in one position. So yeah, so the conversation, he just called me up and he was like, Hey, this is what, like, we'd love to have you come play for us. And this is what we can offer you. And at that point I was like, Whoa like people are offering me something like what the heck yeah. like this is weird do you want to see my highlight tape I made four years ago <laughs> like he's like no but yeah so that conversation kind of happened and I was in England and I just thought you know what I came here for rugby and this was kind of my my goal was to was to kind of play for series and play for one of the best clubs in England like you'd be kind of silly to to say no to that right so I loved playing at Bristol and I probably would have stayed there had that conversation not happened um and it was pretty sad to leave because I'd made such good uh, friendships and it was such a good year. You know, I had my first cap. I felt like I'd had a pretty successful season. Um, but I just think in rugby, yeah, you just got to kind of take those opportunities that present themselves. So, yeah, for sure. You don't know when they'll present themselves again. Yeah. Um, and so then talk to me about you mentioned like the amateurism to kind of the way the league is moving to more professional. I know it's kind of like probably semi-pro now with there are some fully professional girls, the England girls, but um, what was it like in Bristol, your say weekly schedule or your day-to-day schedule you're working and you parked school altogether, did you, or were you doing any online? I took a full year off of school because I just wanted to kind of put it, put it kind of to bed for a little bit and, and figure out what I was going to do. So I would work in the mornings from like 7am until like two or three in the afternoon. And then I would train every evening. So we kind of had gym, we were basically in every day, whether it was doing gym or on field. Uh, And then at near the end of the season, they started implementing day skills. Um, And because I was working for like a club sponsor, they were obviously pretty like, oh, yeah, we can kind of work around what you're doing. I just worked at like a little cafe had a house literally up the corner would walk to work, do my little coffee gig and then would nice. go to rugby. So it was kind of the ideal situation for somebody who's 20 years old trying to trying to make it in rugby, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so near the end, we would have day skills. I believe it was like probably like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday kind of deal. But that was put on through the RFU. So they the EPS girls would have those sessions. But because I was at Bristol at that point, I think they only had two EPS girls. They needed other people to come in and do the skills with them or else it's pretty boring when you only have two people. So it was kind of like that first taste of like, oh, what it could be like to be kind of a full-time rugby player. Um, so we would go in and it was kind of open to internationals and they could kind of come and do do the skills, which was pretty cool. Um, and then now that I'm at series, it's way more full-time uh, than it was even at Bristol. And I think it depends what club you're at as well, because uh, at the minute, like women's rugby is in a really interesting place at the minute, especially in England. I think there's some clubs that are on a way more professional trajectory than others. And just comes down to money. And, you know, if you're at a club that has a very successful men's side as well, you're going to reap the benefits of that. Right. So at the time, Bristol was like completely amateur. Not no one was paid. The only two players that were paid were through England. 
So it was, it was definitely an interesting setup. Now it's definitely transitioned where pretty much across the league, everyone's being paid in some, in some capacity, whether that's enough to live off of or not is, is obviously um, depending on where you sit. Um, But yeah, so it was, it was kind of definitely on the more amateur side where you would just train in the evenings, but we had full, full weights program. So you could feel the kind of transition where I'd been at UBC, which was kind of full-time, but also school is your primary focus to then just purely rugby was, um, was definitely a pretty cool transition to see. And then to see it then progress on from that was, was pretty cool as well. Nice. And so what is the setup like, I know you're back in UBC this semester, but what's the setup like in Saracens when you go back in January? So like the weekly schedule, do you work part-time there as well? Yeah, so um, it kind of depends on the season. So this past season that I was there, I didn't work because I was in school full time. Uh, so I was doing online because of COVID. So all last season, I was a student and this it'll be the same. Uh, when I go back in January, I'll be still in online classes. Um, trying to chip away at that gnarly degree that I've been working on for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it kind of depends. But um, there's definitely potential for me to work part time. I think... I'm lucky in the sense of having dual citizenship allows me to move a little bit more freely. Whereas a lot of girls are on visas and things like that, that are from North America. So I definitely have a little bit more flexibility in my life uh, where I can just easily turn up and get a job wherever. Whereas I know a lot of girls currently are only rugby. So it's kind of classified in the same as the men's where you would travel there to your job would be rugby obviously the financial side of things doesn't really align to that because obviously the men that is your job whereas women uh you know you're going over there and working or trying to work and play rugby so a lot of people are kind of in this weird limbo kind of area where they're not really working but some of them are but a lot of the north american ones aren't um so yeah so when i'm back it'll be pretty full-on like we have day skills pretty much every day or every other day and then we only train as a whole squad on Tuesday, Thursday evenings. I know some clubs have transitioned to doing Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, but we've, we've stuck with the Tuesday, Thursday for now. Um, and then weights kind of in between. So again, it's pretty much every day we're doing something. Usually Wednesdays and uh, the days following games are off days. So usually that's Mondays because we play Sundays. But um, yeah, so we usually get one to two days off a week. And then, uh, yeah, every day, every other day we're in either skills gym training or just skills gym so cool and where do you train with saracens where is the like headquarters or base yeah so at the minute we're at old albanians during the day which is where the men are based um which is in saint albans so it's about about 25 minutes from allians or it's not called allians anymore stonex sorry um yeah cut that one out they'll get out of that (laughs) But uh, yeah, so it's about 25 minutes from Stonex, uh, which is in Barnet. So about like the North London kind of area for, for people who don't kind of know where that is. So we train in the evenings at Stonex, um, but all our day skills are, are at Old Albanians um, during the day where the men are based. Okay. And do you live nearby? Is it pretty handy to get around London? Yeah, so we live, um, I was living with Georgia and Poppy and Bryony the Cleals and Hannah Botterman there for a while. We had quite quite the rugby house going on there. Mm. Uh, but yeah, we lived about 20 minutes from Oase. So we kind of lived like, Oase is here and um, Donex is there. We kind of lived here. Like a triangle, so, yeah. 
Yeah, so relatively in, in the same kind of area. A lot of girls commute, like, quite far, actually. Um, it's it's a really, like, St. Albans, I think, is one of the most expensive places to live outside of, like, central London. So, yeah, not a lot of people live in that general area. Um, but I know, that, like, for the men, I believe it's a rule that they have to live within 20 minutes of, of away. So, um, so, yeah, it's obviously a little bit different for us because people work and have other things going on. But, yeah, so we lived in a pretty central central location. So for me, it was pretty easy to get around. But um, with the trains and things like that as well, though, the transportation is just so different than mm. it is here. So it's actually quite easy to to get to and from. So, yeah. Yeah. And what's the setup like there in old Albanians? Like what pitches, gyms, physio, like what's it like there? Yeah, you know, it's actually a, a really great place to train. I would actually enjoy it if we actually played there. I think it would actually be, pre- be pretty good. So we have a clubhouse. Well, I guess it's um, it's their clubhouse. We rent the facilities, essentially. Um, so we have like our full physio setup that goes there and the upstairs. Before COVID, we would, ha- we would sit in there and eat and things like that, which is what the men still do currently. But we don't really use the change rooms at the minute. Uh, and then they have, I think they have like, I don't know, five or six like pitches there. So we use those for day skills and things like that. And then we also have a full gym set up with um, a covered um, like turf kind of like 4G setup where we have like scrum machines and, and things like that. So when I first got there, it was actually pretty like, I was like, whoa, this is like pretty cool. Like I've never seen anything like this, like in a covered indoor facility with like basically all the like cool rugby toys that you could ever think of. Mm. So it was like a giant rugby playground. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so we use that during the day, which is pretty sweet. Um, the only downside is that we're often like on the back of the men's schedule. So we have to, we're the ones that kind of have to adjust our schedule. So sometimes that can be a little bit tricky um, when you're trying to work and, and plan things around it. We're often kind of waiting to hear about their schedule the week of kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. And so you're back in UBC now and train like in the gym a couple of times a week on the field, three times a week. What would you think the biggest difference between playing in the Premier 15s is and playing collegiate rugby is? Yeah, I think probably the standard of rugby is probably the biggest one. I think you get girls at UBC and in in this league that are relatively new to rugby or they're kind of pursuing rugby post-secondary school kind of thing. Uh, Whereas overseas, you're getting girls who've been playing for, you know, 10, 15 years plus who are pursuing it as a full-time job, who are a bit more competitive with it. In terms of the training environment, it's actually relatively the same. Uh, The only thing that would probably be different is like our medical support. Mm. So they're way more stingy about what we do and and they're pretty like, you got to tick every box, right? Whereas here it's more through student health and you have to go through a lot of other avenues of getting medical support. Um, Whereas we have like full-time physios that are at every training, every skills, and you're checking in with them constantly. Um, so even I'm on the back of an injury and I've found that the the like support that I've been able to get in England is a lot different than I'm able to get here, um, which has been kind of a common theme, obviously, like growing up here, there was like no such thing as return to play. It was kind of like, okay, go to pay for physio or see free physio once a week at UBC and then kind of do your own thing. Whereas in England, they're like, check in every day, check in every morning, have to do this this and this and like the physical testing to get back on the pitch and stuff is a lot more a lot more um strict I guess you could say or or yeah you have to tick a lot of boxes so yeah I got you no that makes sense it's um it's professional 
essentially mm, like yeah over there yeah yeah exactly yeah and um what advice would you give a 21 22 year old north american girl thinking of going over to england to play yeah 100% just do it just put yourself out there i think it's so so important to experience rugby outside of the world you kind of grew up in i would love it if there was a professional league in in canada and and in north america in general i think kind of on the back of the mlr would be a pretty cool thing in the next few years i'm waiting for them to catch on to that mm. But I think at this point in time, the rugby is out there to be played. And I think that you just have to like kind of go for it. And I know a lot of girls are doing it now. And the struggle, the struggle is definitely there between do you pursue, pursue school and a career and life or do you play rugby? And it's kind of seems at the minute that you have to choose one or the other. But I just think you're not going to play rugby forever. And school for is sure. always there and you can still kind of do both at the same time. Um, so, yeah, I would I would definitely suggest it even like. My next plan is to like go over to New Zealand potentially or France and, and play over there. I'd love to do a season or two there. And I just think there's so much rugby to be played and, and playing for Rugby Canada is is great and it's a goal, but there's so much more rugby out there and it can be so fun and exciting that it doesn't have to look how it's always looked. And yeah. you can kind of, there's so many avenues to, to kind of pursue high level rugby. So yeah no for sure that'd be cool going to new zealand or france and yeah like you say yes. if you're playing high level rugby and you're playing well everything else will fall into place won't it with the national team and all that yeah exactly and i think definitely like school and things like that are important obviously i've come back to finish my degree and as women we don't have the luxury of playing rugby and having that security for however many years it's kind of like you have to pursue your life kind of parallel to your rugby career hmm. And there's certain points where you kind of have to put your life and career ahead of your rugby career. That's just kind of the way it is right now. But at the same time, uh, it is possible to do both. And you don't have to put all your eggs in one basket. You don't have to just do rugby and never do school. You can do school, you can do rugby, and, and there's so many opportunities to do both. Mm. And what are you doing in school? So I'm a history student. Yeah. So I finally, finally figured, uh, figured out what I liked and, and thought, yeah, I'll give it a go and, and be a history student. So I'm doing it so far. This week's a bit crazy. I've got four papers due. So I'm like, do I have regrets about this? Maybe was doing all this reading worth it? I don't know, Yeah. <laughs> but it's all fun. So. And what do you think you want to do after in that, say after rugby or with that? Yeah. So my, my plan is to either become a teacher or go into firefighting, which is two kind of really really random things yeah. and very separate from each other but that's why I'm kind of doing the history degree because it's um a nice transition into teaching and it's a teachable subject um but yeah firefighting is definitely something that I kind of want to want to pursue I just like the elements of it. it's a team-oriented kind of thing and physical you're doing something different every day you're helping people and there's quite a few girls at the minute that are doing their firefighting so I've been kind of chatting to them a little bit and they just have given really cool insight into into what it's like and one of the girls on the national team, Brittany Castle, she was like, it's like the easiest transition between rugby and life. Like it is pretty much a rugby team, but just like you're helping people. And so yeah. many rugby people are such good fits for it. So that's kind of my my long-term plan. Cool. And just for people listening, so I'm from Ireland and firefighting in the UK and Ireland is a lot different to here. So I know there's a couple of girls on the team as well that do it. And I was chatting to them. And just for people listening, firefighting in BC means that you go into like the literal forest for a couple of weeks on end and you're like taking out like wildfires. 
yeah there's wildfire and there's industrial as well so there's two different kind of types but yeah the wildfire one is like totally bc like niche like (laughs) for north american so yeah people over there wouldn't really get that at all (laughs) yeah that sounds mad and like getting helicoptered into the middle of yeah a wildfire essentially and having to put that yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) seems kind of exciting (laughs) for sure for sure and um what has playing with canada been like so you've played for a couple of years I just wonder have you ever had to pay your way or what's what's that like the setup yeah so I paid all the way through age grade so I paid uh, I went on an under 18s tour and two under 20s tour I was selected for one of them but was injured and all four of them were paid to play and they were about two to three grand each mm. and that's of course on the back of playing so in order to get selected for age grade Canada you have to play for provincial um, mm. And you have to pay your way for that. So it's about when it's all said and done in a summer, you could spend upwards of, of five to eight grand on rugby, wow. essentially. Um, so that's kind of what I was doing all the way from about about 15 all the way until I was about 20 playing playing in England. So that was all paid to play. And luckily, like my parents have helped me so much with that. And like so much fundraising has gone into that. Like there, Like there's no way I could have paid that out of pocket. I mean, how do you expect a kid who's... 16, 17 mm. to pay two grand for a trip. So that is a huge, huge issue in women's rugby and especially underage provincial rugby in Canada is that you're only getting the people that can afford it. So you're not actually getting the potentially the best rugby players available. You're getting the kids that can afford it. So mm. it's definitely kind of an elitist environment. And I think after the 2014 World Cup for Canada, I think that might've been the first year that the women were fully funded. Or potentially the year after that. The senior so women. Quite, yes, that the is, senior yeah. women for Canada. So 2014. So not even that long ago, they were paying their way to play. And even now, we're predominantly funded through the Monty Heald Fund, which is donation-based. So we get donations from the public and from sponsorships. And that's how we fund kind of uh, our rugby. We also, now that they've kind of aligned the global calendar, with this women's 15s program that's coming in, I think 2022 is when it's instilled. We've then gotten some money from World Rugby, but our predominant like income would be through donations and through the men qualifying for the World Cup. So that's why obviously now when they're trying to qualify, we're like, yeah. please qualify because it makes our lives easier. So yeah. um, it's a pretty a pretty like sad and scary place to be honestly when you're trying to play for your country and and fulfill these dreams and it's kind of relying on other people to get you there in a lot of ways Mm. um and it's just kind of the reality of where we're at with women's rugby especially in canada i know i know the states feel kind of the same way and they have their own kind of monty healed fund set up now so they followed kind of the same the same structure as we have now yeah i think that that yeah that is annoying and the way it's kind of on tender hooks or whatever but i think that new league that they're not that they announced i don't know what what's the name of it where it's like the different uh, divisions it's kind of like a world league for women i think it's that called women's 15s good. i'm women's i think 15. that's what they've called it but i'm not 100 percent sure because i think world rugby are funding that so that's like yeah and a guarantee for i don't know eight or 12 or maybe more women's national teams which is pretty good so you've kind of guaranteed you get x amount of games in the next two three years and kind of give some yeah guarantees around it yeah 100 percent. i think it's going to be a huge change for the women's game i think unfortunately because of covid 
you're seeing countries on completely different platforms. I think this World Cup, mm. if it goes ahead, will be a really, really interesting insight into where things are at. Like, for example, Canada, since we were in San Diego in 2019, uh, so, and we are in the top five, like we're, we're, I think we're currently ranked third. So you can only imagine what other countries are facing at the minute, basically, yeah. if you're not in New Zealand and you're not in England, maybe even France, you're not playing rugby. I haven't played rugby in about two years. So I think with COVID, you've seen definitely something that's a bit of an anomaly, mm. but I think all the issues that women's rugby have faced have just like blown up and we can see it pretty clear so in a lot of ways I'm kind of thankful COVID happened on the rugby front of it obviously everything else is is obviously not great but Mm. because it kind of just highlighted everything that was so like so wrong with what was going on with women's rugby and now there's just like there's kind of no excuse like how do we how do we move forward from this like we've seen COVID we've seen like the impact on women's and girls sports at the grassroots levels like how many people do you know that have quit rugby? Like it, it's kind of, kind of, we're in a crazy time right now with women's sport. And I think it's kind of make or break. And I think this women's 15s thing is going to be huge for that. And just kind of that guarantee of this is how many fixtures you're going to have in a calendar year and aligning it. So we're not getting crossovers with, with certain uh, fixtures and things like that. So. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that'll be huge because as you say if the world cup goes ahead next Mm. year there'll probably be like huge landslides like you know there'll be 80 to nil matches which isn't good for anyone like even people say about the men's world cup at times it's not good because the likes of namibia and other countries get absolutely hammered and it's not great to have a kind of showpiece tournament where the games aren't competitive and yeah, I think that that'll probably happen next year with the women because of COVID, because of, as you say, some like England and France and these are like pushing way ahead. But the World League, that that should really bring other teams up and kind of even it yeah, out. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think for the women's game. in terms of the financial side of things, we probably sit on the lower half. But in terms of the quality of rugby players that we're producing, we're in the top half. So you can kind of see that disconnect and how there's obviously a huge gap and how does that get filled and and ultimately it is world rugby like there's there's no real funding from world rugby that matches the men's obviously um but yeah in terms of like even the like under 20s mm. kind of setup for women versus men is is completely different right so if you wanted to look at it that way but yeah yeah and um just before we go yeah you know another covid covid kind of decision i was like you know what i was in i was doing online school um all last year throughout covid and um i've had a couple really pretty bad injuries in the last few seasons uh so i'm struggling a little bit to kind of get back into rugby and just play because i enjoy it and because it's fun i feel like the last you know five to six years of my career have been Mm all like super high performance based and and performance based rather than or sorry results based rather than performance based and I've just felt like it was kind of time to take a step back and kind of take that kind of breather I think obviously we're a year out from a world's cup and my ultimate goal is to get there and get on that plane and, and join the Canadian women while doing that but I think at the same time there's other things outside of sport that matter too and and I think with so many injuries you kind of have that little bit of perspective where you're like okay I can still do this rugby thing, but I got to dedicate a little bit of time to life. Uh, so I decided to come back to UBC to finish off my my degree and 
I had, I've been at two schools now. So I did two years at UBC and then my online courses through UFB to kind of upgrade some courses and, and kind of keep chipping away. They had a little bit more of a flexible online kind of uh, setup. So I decided to come back to UBC because it's just easier credit based. I'm so close to being finished that it just made a lot of sense. And there isn't really a rugby program in Canada that I would want to be a part of. I think that Dean is just doing really great things here and they have such great support staff. And I think the setup is so much more professional than some other schools. And I think if you can be at one of the best universities and be one of the best rugby programs, why wouldn't you want to do that? So yeah, kind of the best of both worlds. So I'll head back in January to England, but um, yeah, the priority at the minute is just getting some school done and enjoying rugby and, and kind of uh, hopefully not being injured anymore. Cause that would be nice. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. And when, how's the body now? How's yeah, the pretty, when, pretty good. I think probably in two weeks time, I'll be back on the pitch, hopefully, if, if all things go well this week. So yeah, it's been about seven months I've been out. And before that, I played three games. And then I was out for a year before that with an ankle injury and slash COVID. So it's been about two years since I've played really consistent rugby, uh, which is pretty weird, because for me, I'm normally playing 12 months of the year, go, 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 since I was about nine years old so it's definitely it's been a it's been a trying time for sure and mm -hmm. I think my mental health has probably um probably suffered at the at some stages of it but I think at the end of the day injuries are telling you something and it's telling you that you need to get your body sorted and uh yeah so it's been been a learning curve but I'm grateful to be able to just function and and hopefully play some rugby one day because I know that well any injury can be career-ending if if it goes that way right so yeah, I've been pretty lucky with the support staff that I've had and, and the people around me. So they've definitely made it a lot easier. So yeah, hopefully two weeks time I'll be running out, but uh, I won't hold my breath anymore. Cause you know what, <laughs> it's just life. If awesome. it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. So yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm buzzing yeah, to have hopefully. you back. And make <laughs> we'll see about that one. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, just on that, do Saracens have support around mental health and like uh, a little bit? That's definitely that an area that we're kind of lacking in. I think that we could definitely have somebody come in and do that. We've had a few of the, the ex players of the men kind of come in and they're transitioning into mental performance and they've done a few sessions with us. And we've had a few people come in and do kind of like life planning after rugby and things like that. Um, but not somebody who works predominantly with us or with the club. Uh, we have that support through Canada, which has been really great, oh, especially through these injuries. It's been great to talk to somebody and have somebody kind of help me work through those kinds of things. But that's definitely an area at the club level in England that definitely I think needs to kind of um, improve. I just think nowadays, especially with mm. the way that, you know, you're stuck in this kind of professionalism slash amateur Kind of world having that mental health and the mental performance and things like that is huge right now and i think that we need support in that area especially when we're trying to balance school and work and families and all sorts of things outside of rugby it, it sometimes can be really hard to get to rugby and switch completely off and be focused on that um so that's definitely an area i would challenge people and clubs in the uk to kind of provide support for but i think that's probably the same on the men's side as well i'm not sure kind of what support they have on that front but yeah no for sure it's so important and it's like clubs spend so much money on like physios and different support staff to get people right or to get players right like i suppose physios are get their kind of physical body right but um 
yeah like if you're not in a good headspace you can't play well as simple yeah. as and um that's something that yeah dean and we chatted about as coaches and ubc that it's like we need to make sure that the support is there on that side of things for the girls because as you say it's like there's so much going on like covid school rugby it's like it's hard to keep all the plates spinning at times you know oh 100 percent. and i think when you're you know, 18 to 25, you're also growing up and, and trying to figure life out, right? And there's a lot of big life decisions that go on in that in that period of your life. So I think that you're expecting kids to be in this high performance environment, and there's so many pressures on them to be perfect and to perform. And whether that's self kind of, you know, self perception or, or what mm. actually is going on in a club um, is up for debate. But it's, it's just like, why not have that support? And why not be able to be able to kind of put yourself in the best position possible so that yeah the physical can kind of just do what it needs to do and you don't have those mental blocks and things like that but um yeah definitely through Canada we have quite a bit of support on that front which has been great um and it's helped me a lot so yeah I would definitely definitely be looking to do that when I'm at a club level as well so awesome well Mac thanks a million for your time for jumping on and uh I'll see you later on at training yeah no worries thanks for having me it's been great cheers I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you did, please send it on to a friend or share it in a WhatsApp group. I really enjoyed chatting with Mac. I enjoyed chatting with all my players, but it's cool to see her pushing herself and taking that leap going over to England. There's a lot more girls on our UBC team at that level, and I'm looking forward to seeing more and more of them following her footsteps after they graduate. Later this week with UBC, we fly to Calgary for the Canada West playoffs which I'm really looking forward to. It's my first full season with the girls. I started a couple of months before Covid hit and we're five from five so far this season. We've had some great wins, played some really brilliant rugby at times but there's so much more that we can improve on and get better at which is really really exciting. If you're listening to this on your iPhone, would you do me a quick favor right now and open up the Apple Podcasts app and leave a rating and a review for the podcast? Just tell me something that you enjoyed about this episode or the pod in general. The rating and review is a small thing, but it really helps other people find the podcast when they're looking for rugby podcasts on Apple. Putting these together does take a lot of time and I'm not complaining 1%, not at all. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it. But if you're enjoying the podcast as well, please do leave that rating and review. It's a really small thing, but I would be so grateful if you did. It would really mean a lot. And as always, if you have feedback or thoughts for the podcast, send me a DM on Instagram at offfieldrugby, the offfield rugby coach. Would love to hear what you're thinking. Thanks a million for listening. I greatly appreciate you clicking in. Have a brilliant rest of your day. Cheers.